450 million gamers in India have played a battle royale game in the last 24 months. India consumes the most amount of bandwidth per person. India downloads the most amount of apps per year on all the app stores. Sometimes combining uh, the amount of apps downloaded in the US and China together. This week, I think we are celebrating being the most populous country in the world. Uh, so that's 1.4 billion people. We just narrowly overtook China. Uh, what's different about India is though the demographic itself is that it's a lot of very young people. Uh, over 50% of our people are under the age of 32 or 33, uh, which is really the ideal age for being building a gaming country. So when you give people access to cheap Android devices, which are now very, very powerful, uh, free internet almost, and you offer them a good payment method, there is bound to be a gaming or a content boom, and gaming is part of that boom. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of Fourth Revolution Capital. Podcast guests and 4RC may have positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Hey everyone, welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm DeFi Dad from Fourth Revolution Capital. I'm joined here by my co-host from 4RC Nomadic. Today we've got a new show for you on the emerging gaming economy in India with a team that we believe is leading the charge. So we'll be speaking with Ravi John, who is the co-founder and CEO of Super Gaming, which is self-described as building the epic games of India. Uh, what's most compelling about their journey thus far is that they are true pioneers in terms of uh, building an Indian native built game. And so this, in our opinion, is what's really going to put uh, India gaming on the map. And so uh, Super Gaming is uh, in a very unique position here to also incorporate Web3 elements, given the sort of era we're living in where uh, Web3 and gaming are merging into one. And so we'll talk all about this and more today. Nomadic, what excites you about the gaming industry in India? I know there were a number of stats you were pulling up here uh, before we got started. Yeah, lots is really exciting. So on our investment side at Fourth Revolution Capital, we've been looking pretty closely at investment opportunities in India. Both the demographics and the growth growth potential are phenomenal. So just, just a few quick stats, which are were surprising to me again, just looking at them. 18% of the world's population is in India. That's roughly 1.4 billion people. The, the mobile phone penetration is around 80%, depending on where you're pulling your stats, but that's about 1 billion people that ha now have mobile phone access. And then Rob, Robbie probably has better stats on this than, than me, but I, I'm seeing around 400 million gamers reside in India right now. So like those are just phenomenal numbers. Um, and then more specifically, on the gaming side, there's some tailwinds that we'll have Robbie explain later on about why India is primed right now for a homegrown gaming boom. Introducing Mantle. Mantle is the first modular layer two solution built for hyperscale dApps. We separate execution, data availability, and transaction finality into separate layers. This allows us to increase transaction throughput while keeping fees low and maintaining the security and decentralized nature of Ethereum. Join us in building on Mantle Testnet today and be a part of the future of Web3. Whether you're a trader, farmer, analyst, or newbie, you can trade smart with KyberSwap, the OG decentralized exchange and aggregator on 13 chains. Swap at the best rates, 
farm with real yields, set limit orders, use their proprietary trading and AI tools with the best UX in DeFi, securely and permissionlessly. Get better rates, better opportunities, better alpha, and a better trading experience. Trade smart now at kyberswap.com. Gtrade by Gains Network is a decentralized leveraged trading platform, allowing users to synthetically trade crypto, forex, stocks, and commodities with up to 1,000x leverage. Gtrade is live on both Polygon and Arbitrum, with over 30 billion in all-time trading volume and nearly 50 million in vault liquidity. The platform has consistently been among the top earning protocols, with seven-figure monthly revenue and a net deflationary token. Gtrade has become an on-chain stable for both traders and yield seekers. Check them out at gains.trade or by searching Gains Network on Twitter. The future of Web3 is bright, but crypto startups, DAOs, and on-chain organizations can't scale without tooling to power world-class financial and payment operations. Introducing Utopia, your all-in-one platform to create, execute, and understand your Gnosis-safe transactions. Execute payroll 10x faster through automated payment plans. Coordinate reimbursements and accounts payable through payment requests. Execute multi-sig transactions faster with your global team through signing links. View, label, and categorize all of your safe transactions in one place. Start managing your on-chain payments today by going to utopialabs.com. To get started with gasless payments, message Utopia's co-founder on Twitter at 0xKaito. It all started so simply with CryptoKitties and Maker on Ethereum, but quickly became complex with more applications and many chains. Today, everyone agrees UX issues are the biggest blocker standing in the way of crypto adoption. Introducing Avocado. Multi-chain UX redesigned from the ground up. The first wallet to abstract networks, accounts, and gas. One gas tank to pay transaction fees on all chains in USDC and native access to Instadap's powerful, custom DeFi strategies. Avocado, one wallet to rule all chains. So Ravi is a repeat founder, having previously worked across countless product and engineering roles over a 20-year career for some uh, large notable corporations such as BMC Software. He eventually, though, would found Tap to Learn, which was where they built educational games, which would eventually be downloaded over 20 million times. Tap to Learn was incubated at Y Combinator in 2012 and eventually backed by reputable investors such as Kosla Ventures. Then, just under four years ago, Robbie co-founded Super Gaming, which, as I shared earlier, is building the Epic Games of India. As of today, they have built a number of games and continued developing new titles such as Mask Gun, which is India's top shooting game with 65 million downloads across the globe. There's Tower Conquest, their first Web3 game, which is a real-time PvP tower defense game and best described as free-to-earn. And what will probably take up most of our time today is their Indo-Futuristic Battle Royale game called Indus, which you can pre-register for at indusgame.com. So on that note, Ravi, welcome to The Edge. How are you doing? Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, DeFi Dad. Thanks to Matic for having me on the show. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, thanks for invest being investors in Super Gaming as well. Uh, you know, uh, I, uh, Nomadic, you actually got most of the statistics right, but I'll kind of tell you a little bit more. Uh, the 400 million gamers, uh, I keep hearing 500 million these days. Uh, you know, the last report that came out in November last year said 450 million, uh, which is 
probably the true believable number. Uh, but what I kind of think about, you know, what you were mentioning as, you know, tailwinds uh, is a couple of things. One is, you know, the what we call the geo revolution in India, which is free internet almost. Uh, internet prices dropped 15x with the introduction of geo. So it's actually the cheapest internet available in the world. And literally everybody in the world is connected. Everybody in India is connected too. Uh, India consumes the most amount of bandwidth per person. India downloads the most amount of apps per year on all the app stores. Uh, you know, sometimes combining uh, the amount of apps downloaded in the US and China together. Uh, that's kind of a stat that was crazy that even when we heard about it, uh, you know, uh, this week I think we are celebrating being the most populous country in the world. Uh, so that's 1.4 billion people. We just narrowly overtook China. Uh, and uh, what's different about India is though the demographic itself is that it's a lot of very young people. Uh, over 50% of our people are under the age of 32 or 33, uh, which is really the ideal age for being building a gaming country. So when you give people access to cheap Android devices, which are now very, very powerful, uh, free internet almost, and you offer them a good payment method, there is bound to be a gaming or a content boom, and gaming is part of that boom. But, you know, that's kind of what we've seen and learned in, the, in all the years that we've been kind of uh, building and operating here. Every year, we keep asking ourselves, is this that year? Is this the point where it takes off? Uh, I can tell you that this is that year. Is it fair to say that, like, if you've been playing games for the past 10, 20 years in India, you've been playing games that have been imported? Correct. So, um, so if I, uh, so I'll kind of tell you a little bit more in terms of history worldwide and kind of tell you why we kind of see what we see as waves of content. Uh, one, one key thing to think about is, you know, who owned the initial mobile game revolution? It was all the Nordics, essentially. Uh, you know, Finnish, uh, Swedish, all of these developers, really. But if you think about it, you know, they actually had the ecosystem before. That's where the Nokia, the Ericsson ecosystem already was. So when the iPhone happened, that was their magic moment. They actually jumped inside of it. They actually were the topmost creators inside of it. That's where you saw Rovio, a, a, a Cybo, a Subway Surfers, all of these Supercell, all getting built out of there because they were ready for this revolution. Uh, I thought that China did a great job by kind of, you know, getting access to, you know, giving people access to China by kind of having developers move there, building for that ecosystem. Chinese developers learned from that entire experience and now dominate. Uh, I think that's really what we're seeing in India as well. You know, we had a lot of people come in, create content for India. India obviously consumed a lot of content from outside the world. Uh, but with all of these people setting up studios and inside of India, like a Ubisoft studio is across the street that we that we kind of operate from. It's been there for about 10, 12 years. The ecosystems got built around these places where people kind of worked at, got exposure to large gaming studios uh, and are today creating content. Uh, the next piece to also think a little bit about is how has India's demographic kind of changed? Initially, uh, the mobile device was limited to a fewer people. Uh, and those people who were slightly older, you know, had been kind of been in the workspace and probably didn't grow up playing games, just given the nature of internet and India. India is a mobile first gaming country. Uh, so what's changed is that in the last 10 years, people have grown up with the mobile phone in their hand as they were growing up. Today, these same people are in the workforce. Uh, and they've kind of seen and grown up on playing mobile games. Now they have the disposable income and time available to kind of keep playing the games, which is why you're kind of seeing the other boom that's happening, which is India is now monetizing really well as a country. Earlier people had, we had a lot of free or, you know, monthly active users or, or daily active users. But today these users also monetize 
given the fact that India is a fast-growing economy, uh, but also digital payments. India does, it has its own native payment currency called UPI, which now does about 7 billion transactions, uh, I think, a month, which I think is more than any other country in the world doing digital transactions. Uh, and that's kind of all changed in the last two and a half, three years. Uh, that's kind of, you know, COVID accelerated it, but the government kind of built this whole ecosystem of open economy where all of these, like UPI is a free ecosystem that all banks have to kind of adhere to. Something like email for payments, uh, the email protocol itself, so now everybody does it. It's a free, free, free ecosystem. Uh, digital identities kind of got built inside of India, uh, you know, on taxation kind of got, in, got done online inside of India which is really where we're seeing the change of India becoming a digital economy itself. Uh, games are a digital, you know, built, get built on the digital economy. That's really where we're seeing this large gaming boom happening in India. Wow, so lots of lots of uh, cheap internet? Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, cheapest internet in the world, uh, if I... So when I, when I think about internet in India, you know, we have uh, at home, I'm sitting on a one GBPS connection that I'm paying less than $5 a month on. Okay, so we've got cheap internet... We've got a society with just an unimaginable amount of engineers. I, I'm, I'm guessing okay. per capita, much higher than like what, what you'd find in other parts of the world. Okay. You've got uh, uh, folks that are uh, have an increasing appetite for a digital economy. Okay. And, and that includes content, which really I, I think of gaming, it all falls under content at the end of the day. It's all content to entertain us. Yeah, it, it's just this perfect storm of of it's a perfect storm for that much more growth. And Rob, Robbie, one one other thing that maybe you can touch on that I've I've been reading a bit about is there's been also some sort of like ban on games from China, I believe, and some imported uh, gaming studios. And could could you maybe speak to how that's potentially a tailwind for a native game studio such as yourself? Uh, obviously, when we were kind of building a battle royale, we didn't kind of think about all of these things. Uh, but you know, we think everything that comes along the way. Uh, what's happening in India beyond just the ban, it's what we call a digital decolonization, uh, which means that, you know, there's a lot of what we call an Atmanirbhar or a self-reliance movement on producing content, consuming that uh, heavy, heavy kind of focus on privacy. Uh, and, you know, what, what the Indian government uh, and China had a border skirmish as well, after which the government kind of stepped in and there are security concerns around all of this data going out to China which is where the government decided to ban a large number of not just games, but also apps. So TikTok, for example, is banned in India. Like a Shine, which might be a large e-commerce app, is banned in India. A large number of other social network apps also banned in India, uh, which have Chinese origins. And a lot of it was considered as being, you know, privacy and security concerns more than anything else. Uh, as a result of that, what's, what's opened out is this large vacuum. You know, what used to be a red ocean of shooters has suddenly become a blue ocean. In terms of saying that, hey, how do we sustain and build the esports community from the ground up inside of India? How do we build something that all of us streamers can rely on without the danger of getting banned? Uh, and that's kind of something that we kind of saw as an opportunity to step up and speed up what we were doing. Uh, and that's really what, what Super Gaming's journey has been in the last two to three years. Um, I want to jump into Super Gaming now a bit. And maybe you can describe just how you began building the team behind Super Gaming and just Walk us through all the moving parts and and maybe the super platform as well. Sure, sure. So I, I'll give you a little bit of background in terms of my career, uh, which kind of all makes sense once we, once we talk about super gaming. Uh, I started as a backend engineer. Uh, I thought it was a decent one till I met W, my co-founder. 
uh, and then he just puts me to shame. He's he's um, such a such a he's such a good developer uh, that I kind of had to take a back seat. And he, he says that I I write more bugs than I write code. Uh, so that's when I kind of went on to the design of the product side of things. Uh, you know, I worked at two large companies. Uh, you know, before I kind of started uh, Jewel and Super Gaming, uh, where you know I the last company that I worked in, large big company that I really worked in for five years was a company called Amberpoint. Uh, where you know the the average experience of an engineer working at Amberpoint was 26 years. Uh, you know my my coworkers co-founders had actually defined the term Silicon Valley. Uh, they came in from the background of inventing relational databases through Ingress, uh, the precursor to Java called Forte, uh, and they were kind of doing a lot of things that we could only understand and say that hey, this is how software should be done. Uh, I thought that you know software is an expression of self. Uh, some people sing, some people paint, some people play music. We write code. That's kind of what I learned at being at Amapoint. After that, it was clear to me that I couldn't work anywhere else. Uh, so when the iPhone came out, you know, I looked at that as the opportunity to finally distribute content. You know, anything that you were making, distribution was always broken. The App Store opened out distribution. Uh, so the story of Tap to Learn, which I started when the iPhone first came out, I'm officially India's first iPhone developer. Uh, you know, so when the iPhone first came out, uh, our story is better known as three guys, a dog and a dream. Uh, we started making apps for the app store uh, and we invented this app called Tap to Learn. Uh, our first app became a decent hit on the app store. Uh, you know, we went from three guys, a dog and the story of three guys, a dog and a dream to three guys, a dog and a dream that was making $10,000 a day. Uh, we, we were the second company that went from India to YC in 2011. Uh, ran the company in the Silicon Valley till about 2014, but really learned about every how to make games by going into very large gaming studios and seeing how they were making games. Uh, we finally realized that our calling was to make less chocolate-covered broccoli, uh, you know, which was really what educational games were becoming at that point of time. Uh, subscriptions weren't invented, so we kind of thought about building a free-to-play game engine. Now, when you think about engine and why we kind of thought about engine and why we have, you know, we call our engine the platform, so to say. We call it super platform so that we're not confusing people around, let's say, an Unreal or a Unity engine. Uh, but our engine does a lot more. Um, the reason that we kind of thought about it is that we thought these were fundamental shifts of paradigms in terms of running multiplayer stacks, running free-to-play economies. Uh, and it required a much larger stack that took a lot of time to kind of build. And we saw this inside of the very large AAA kind of game studios. Uh, from trying to understand the, the just a basic construct of what is a good gaming company and why do we think of ourselves as the, calling ourselves the Epic Games of India, trying to model ourselves after it. We think that every good gaming company is a three-layered cake uh, or a three-act play. Uh, the bottom layer is really the engine. So if you're Epic, that's Unreal. If you're Valve, that's the CS Source engine. On top of it is your content layer. Uh, that's Fortnite for Epic. That's CSGO for uh, for uh, for Valve. Uh, the distribution or content going going viral creates that massive distribution, which allows you to build a marketplace on top of all of this. So when you think about the marketplace on the Epic side, that's the Epic Game Store. It only happened after you know Fortnite success. You never heard of an Epic Game Store before Fortnite. Similarly, CSGO, uh, the marketplace is at least Steam which actually got built on the distribution of uh, of CSGO itself. You know, how big it kind of got. Uh, I thought that that's really the big opportunity when you think about mobile. Nobody's actually built a mobile-first game engine technology, which is what Super Platform is. We built content on top of it. You know, our own games, Mask Gun, Dark Conquest, Road Riot, have been downloaded over 200 million times. So that's content. We're building Indus on the same engine. 
what's different is the way that we look at the marketplace opportunity. We're not talking about trying to build a Steam for Web3 because you need to have a game that's kind of distributed so widely to actually build the marketplace. But we think that this marketplace might be two things. It might be mobile, it might be Web3. And that's really how we think about those three years of building a true gaming company that's that's going to be there for 20, 25 years, built on the distribution opportunity that we have inside of India as well. Can we begin to talk about how you're weaving uh, parts of Indian culture sure. into this game? And I guess like what that actually means to gamers. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of uh, background in terms of how we thought about it as well. Uh, you know, we we always, you know, and you've seen our decks and our decks always say that we're putting India on the global gaming map. Uh, you know, we kind of think about it differently in terms of two parts. Uh, the first part is, you know, if you see uh, super platform powers games like Pac-Man, uh, so, you know, you see the world's, probably the most well-known uh, gaming brand in the world powered by a small Indian gaming studio. So that's obviously our tech kind of powering it. Uh, and, you know, you saw Bandai Namco recently invested in us as well. So that's kind of a great kind of validation of a good customer uh, becoming an investor of yours. That's kind of one one portion of kind of putting India on the global gaming map. But the second piece of it actually happened quite by accident. Uh, it actually happened when we were kind of building, uh, you know, when we were building Mask Gun, we called it the, you know, CSGO for mobile. Uh, and we didn't really put it inside of India. We launched in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, because in India, nobody played a shooter at that point of time. But we thought that these countries where people were playing shooters would make a lot more sense. What we did differently was to put ourselves inside of the game. So you have a Maharaja, you have a, you know, a big guy with a mustache inside of it. Uh, and those were all people from our team. We actually put it out there, but we also did something different. You know, every game had an event like Halloween and Christmas. Uh, you know, we actually put in Diwali inside of our game. Uh, you know, given my name, everybody thought that, you know, there's some white guy running a software company in India and would reach out to me and say, hey, Rabi, what's Diwali? And, you know, why is it there in the game? And, you know, I had a lot of fun explaining to people, uh, telling them, what's Diwali? It's the festival of light. Why do people celebrate it? What are the small cultural relevances of those celebrations happening inside of it. And I thought that, you know, that's really what games are. Games are an expression of your art and culture. Beyond just your own personal identity, they're an expression of your art and culture and sharing it with the rest of the world. That's kind of how we started thinking about it quite a bit. Uh, as we started building more, we started putting elements of ourselves inside of So every one of our games actually has people from our team inside of it. Every one of it. Including our dog, Charlie, who was kind of a star of his own game as well. Uh, and... When, when we kind of thought about eventually building a shooter, uh, you know, and why build a battle royale, obviously, you know, we wanted to build a battle royale because we saw this as the opportunity to build the esports of India. Battle royale games are the esports of India. Uh, we actually, you know, learned from the PUBG experience uh, and talking to the PUBG team uh, that, you know, one key thing that struck me when I was talking to the PUBG, you know, having a conversation with the PUBG founders was that they kind of felt like... Uh, PUBG was great to watch. People could easily watch it, which is why it kind of became a phenomenon, which is perfect for a market like India. PUBG broke all rules when it kind of went viral in India. You know, a large game, uh, people not paying. It kind of broke all those myths that existed that nobody will download the 1.5 GB game. You won't be able to play this game. You need something with great connectivity. It kind of proved everything. So it was the perfect match, so to say. Uh, what we learned about it is, you know, hey, uh, if you want to kind of play a game like Mass Gun or CSGO or Dota, everybody needs to know the game before they can see it or play it. Uh, and I thought that, you know, that's like you trying to understand what cricket is. You can't, you wouldn't be able to watch a cricket match or, you know, uh, somebody from here watching an American football game. 
it's very difficult to know till you know the rules. But I thought that PUBG was more like soccer. Literally, anybody could watch it. You know, and that kind of led to a large, large kind of interest in the game. Uh, when we were building that game, we thought about, you know, again, what is the blue ocean opportunity here? What is something that's never been done before? And we thought that Indian art and culture was not represented in this in the, sort of say, capital of the world for Battle Royale games. 450 million gamers in India have played a Battle Royale game in the last 24 months. Uh, and we thought that that's the largest opportunity that we wanted to go after and give these players something that they felt familiar with. Something that was more like a home-cooked meal uh, versus eating like a fancy, fancy meal somewhere else. But at the same quality and content that they've come to expect by playing any one of those international games. I think that's the other important part that there's been no gaming company that's kind of done this for five, seven years, which has kind of built the capability to build. You can't build a PUBG overnight. You can't build a Battle Royale overnight. These are not simple games to build. These take time, experience, uh, knowledge, uh, a stack or an engine to kind of build. Uh, that's really where we saw the perfect opportunity of saying that, hey, can we not represent what we do, but again, deliver a world-class game? Uh, we looked at it both from an India opportunity of saying that, hey, everybody in India would be really proud to play something like this, but we also looked at it from a Western or outside of the world, outside of India opportunity, where, you know, this is something new and something that people have not seen. So whether it's Japanese games becoming popular everywhere around the world, we talk about Japanese culture uh, or, you know, the Nordics or anything else, that's really what we're doing with our games. And I think that that's really something that people are beginning to appreciate because they're seeing something new, something that they've never seen before. Uh, that's really why our game is called Indus as well. Uh, we had six different stories for it. We chose this story uh, and we called it Indus. Uh, games are made in three layers. Uh, you know, Indus, uh, the first layer is really how do I get your attention? Uh, Indus uh, is, is a chapter in every kid's school book here in India. That's 1.5 billion people. I recently found out that many other countries also have it in their curriculum and school syllabus as well. So I think we are not going to be limited to 1.5 billion people. Uh, but what we did was to tell people a story of saying that, hey, uh, what if the Indus Valley civilization didn't really die? What if it flew off to a different galaxy and you're not rediscovering this galaxy in the year 2500? That's really where we were very inspired by the term Afrofuturism, which is what the movie Black Panther did in, in its part one, where they kind of showed you the glorious past culture of Africa. But they also said Wakanda is the most futuristic city in the world. That duality created great success, a, a vision for hope all around the world. Uh, the Black Panther movie was the highest grossing non-Avenger movie in any market in the world. Uh, you know, it beat bigger, bigger names like an Iron Man, for example. Uh, and we thought that, you know, that's a great way to tell a story. Uh, and the internal kind of story became that uh, Indus is the Wakanda of India. Uh, and that kind of made literally everybody understand what we were doing. I think that's really important to actually have that aha moment where everybody on the team also understands what they're going and it allows them to go faster versus kind of stumbling through it. No, every time you're creating something new, if you don't have a very clear vision, you're going to stumble through it. You're going to take many U-turns. Uh, but this kind of gave everybody a very clear path to just go and unleash this creativity that was often withheld. Uh, that's really what Indus did. Uh, there are two other parts. Like I said, you know, gaming is making three parts. Like I've got to get your attention. With, with the story of Indus, with Wakanda, I caught your attention. I have this large following, uh, you know, for people kind of looking at what we're doing. But I still have to retain your attention and I've got to monetize that attention, which are the next two layers. We haven't gotten there yet, but from a retention perspective, we put everything into our engine. The engine suddenly became this massive advantage that we built for five, seven years 
So doing anything inside of it became faster, whether it's ballistics, sound, uh, our own netcode, our own rendering engine, which actually allows our game to run on a $100 device. Uh, most large shooters do not run on, you know, uh, cheaper Android devices, which is really where you find a majority in India. Uh, we saw that as a very large opportunity. Again, bit from experience from running Masgan, building the engineering from it, but also evolving our platform itself. So those three layers, whether it's kind of the engagement layer, the story of Indus, the retention layer, which is the engine which actually allows us to run the game on many kinds of devices with a triple A experience. Uh, and the last part of it is really monetization with unique content. Uh, you've seen our content inside of it. Uh, it's content that we try to say is that has never been done before. It's unique, which means that, you know, a, a Sartaj, a Biggaj, uh, a Morni, a Hina, you won't find it in any other game. Uh, you won't find those characters, which is why you have to come to Indus to kind of play them. And that's really the, the, the third part of it, which is saying that, hey, our monetization strategy was unique. That, you know, hey, we'll make a little bit of money from a lot of players, which is really a large opportunity here in India. But we'll also kind of give them unique content that they'd be proud to own as proud to own digitally. Uh, we took the Taj Mahal, which is probably the most recognized symbol of India, and we made him into a robot. Uh, and the reason for it was mostly to kind of think about, you know, and, you know, you can also attest to it from growing up. You know, you had the Josh Lucas generation put a Star Wars character on your table for, for many, many years. A Stormtrooper, a C-3PO, uh, you know, or you had the anime generation put out a Naruto or Dragon Ball Z characters all on your table. We thought that nothing like that has actually come out of India. And that's really why you'll see a lot of our content is unique. Uh, they would actually make great tabletop uh, you know, icons and things to warrant as well. And I thought that that's the way to build fandom. Robbie, there's so much to unpack, unpack in there. Um, I remember when we first started talking, the, the piece that really resonated with me too, and that, that you mentioned was just this like building that Wakanda for India. And, and like you said, that's such an easy thread to like take away. And then when, when I'm thinking like, oh yeah, so what's super gaming doing? Oh yeah, they're, they're, they're building that kind of like that Wakanda for, for India vision. Um, and like kind of on that note, so I believe you're incorporating an Olympic shooting champion into your game as well. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the decisions behind that? I, I think you've, you've kind of spoken to it already, just, but kind of inter interweaving and, and, you know, building for this like native audience of, of India, but just how did that come about? Sure. Sure. Uh, I, I'll tell you what we did in March this year. Uh, so essentially, we did we, we we brought on our first two female legendary characters inside of it. Again, Indo futurism. We went to India's history, culture, past, and we said that hey, we took the peacock character, which is India's national bird, uh, and we said that if there was a female, like peacock is male, a female representation of it, uh, the hint, the Indian name for it is Morni, uh, or you know, you, Morni is kind of what peacock means. Uh, but we kind of put that character out as the representation of a historic character coming from India's rich culture, heritage, etc. But like, we wanted to go to the futuristic part of India, uh, and we actually met, uh, you know, our we our team, our entire team goes out shooting to the Olympic ranges here in Pune. Uh, our coach is the Olympic coach of India's shooting uh, team, and you know, in, it might surprise you, but India has won more shooting medals in the Olympics than any other sport. Uh, so shooting is a very large sport in India. Uh, and we happened to meet his wife. Uh, and we kind of, as I met her, I was very inspired by her journey. Because the first thing that she told me is that she grew up only playing Call of Duty. 
she grew up playing shooting games, which is a rare phenomenon even for somebody in, a, in the US or in the West. Uh, in that in India is completely out. But then she also went on to kind of break barriers uh, to kind of, you know, become a world-class shooting champion. She holds a Guinness record for pistol shooting. She's won a bunch of gold medals at world championships. So that's truly, and she's won India's highest honor that a sports athlete can receive, which is the Arjuna Award. Uh, and when we looked at that, we kind of said that, oh, uh, you are representing what Super Gaming is also trying to do, which is break those barriers. So you're a great inspiration to us, but also to every girl child. And my, my first child is a daughter. Uh, and, you know, so I said that you're a great inspiration for my daughter to break barriers. Uh, we want to tell your story and we want to tell it uniquely through our game as a character. We love to put you inside of it. It took five months. You, the video is out on YouTube. It took five months to kind of represent her finally. Uh, and, you know, I thought that was one of the best decisions that I took. Uh, you know, it kind of came out organically. Uh, it was kind of, uh, you know, it's a non-profit, uh, which means that, you know, I'm hoping that her character comes out and inspires young women, young girl childs all over the world to break those barriers. And that's really what Indus is. Indo-futurism are traditions, but at the same time, you look into what a futuristic uh, Indian character might look like. Uh, that's something that I thought was blending in beautifully. Uh, it came out and we, I've got a lot more comments on these characters. In fact, all the guys on my team play as the badass female character uh, versus any of the other characters that I've actually made on the game right now. This is the part of of what you're building that is the most enjoyable for me as as a fan and an, as an investor. But I I understand it must be just so challenging to create these these new characters these new stories that you know we hope can carry on from generation to generation i actually i just came back from disney world with my kids and it's mind-blowing how people are so proud to have like star wars characters on their t-shirts right. and to have all the different like you know uh all the different things that you wear backpacks whatever right. and when you consider how do you create a new sort of generation of characters like this? Well, then like one example you gave there is I've been blown away by, you know, the reception of Black Panther. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, like what you're doing with this Indo-futuristic, right. it, it's cool because it doesn't just resonate in our experience. It doesn't just resonate with uh, someone who lives in India. It resonates with everyone. Right. Like you can show it to just about anyone and they're like, oh, I get it. So when you you get my t-shirt, right, which is Sataj. Looking at that shirt too, I'm like, it looks like a combination of like a Star Wars Mandalorian style t-shirt I would have bought in a Disney World. So I tell you something contrary to this, uh, you know, which is really saying that, hey, you know, if you, you know, I think, uh, you know, it was Antoine St. Dupri, which actually said that, you know, if you want people to kind of cross the ocean, uh, don't ask them to start building a ship, teach them the love of the ocean itself. And they will go and build the ship themselves to kind of go and do it. Uh, in those words, approximately. Uh, that's really what we did. We didn't really kind of tell that, okay, we're going to make this, make this, make this. We just said that, hey, guys, how can we best represent who we are better? You know, and all of these ideas just came in through it. Like, I, I promised you that we've not had to take inspiration from anybody. And I think we've got enough content for the next three years just based on this backlog of ideas that people just keep bringing in. Each person, like, you know, in our team, we represent almost every state of India, all four corners of India, which is rare, again, in a studio because we're based in the West, uh, past part of India, called Pune, 
but every one of those people bring ideas, bring monuments from their hometowns uh, and kind of bring it inside of the game. Uh, and I thought that that was really the most beautiful part of it. And it's not limited to India. Uh, we actually did the same thing recently with Brazilian content, uh, with a partner in Brazil as well. And I thought that, you know, the amount of content, because that framework is set of how do you be true, how do you be authentic, how do you kind of find things that appeal to people, how do you be represented in new ways, that's a playbook that we built uh, with all of the content that we did. And we got better at it. You know, I think the answer is always, you know, start small, keep getting better at it every day. Uh, and I think I think over a period of time, my team just got really, really good at it. Meet Stater Labs, the non-custodial multi-chain liquid staking platform that's transforming the liquid staking landscape. With over 40,000 users across six chains, Stater is just about to launch Ethax, a decentralized liquid staking token on Ethereum. Backed by some of the biggest names in crypto, their multiple audits with top security firms, bug bounties, and real-time monitoring are a testimony to their emphasis on security and safety. With a unique multi-pool architecture and tokenomics, Ethex empowers stakers everywhere to run a node with as little as four ETH and earn 35% more than solo stakers. Sign up for their Ethex Alpha today and be the first to know about $1 million in staker rewards. Ethereum is fully decentralized and Liquidity is a shining example of decentralization. Liquidity is a non-upgradable protocol where users can deposit their ETH and take out a loan interest-free. Users get their loans in LUSD, an unstoppable Ethereum native stablecoin that is solely backed by Ether. You can use Liquidity to buy real-world assets or to earn yield across 20-plus places in DeFi. More risk-tolerant users can also use the protocol to lever up on their ETH. With over 750 million worth of ETH locked into Liquidity's unstoppable contracts, get access to real DeFi. DeFi that's immutable, capital efficient, and fully decentralized. Learn more at liquidity.org. I think you've begun to address this, but how would you summarize how you've gone about building a community, building a community organically prior to the release of Indus? So I, I, I'll tell you two anecdotes which kind of summarizes our experience of building games and what we've kind of thought about it. Uh, the first part of it is, you know, we've always treated all of our games as community first. Like our first game, Maskan, it was in soft launch for three years before we launched it. Uh, so essentially, nobody built mobile shooters and we launched by launching in public, getting, you know, people all around the world to play it. Uh, I had some funny stories around it as well. Uh, so, you know, it's launched only in Australia and New Zealand, which is five and a half hours ahead of our time zone. Uh, so I get a call at 3 a.m. my time. Uh, because my number is always on the support call. So I get a call from a guy who says that, hey, my clan needs to buy, you know, five more of these packs. I just spent $100, but I want to spend, you know, $1,000, but I want you to give my clan a discount. And I said, uh, sorry, we don't have a clan in our game. Uh, so he says, no, 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 I've named everybody to kind of be called underscore Stormy, and all of those people are my clan. Uh, so that's lesson number one, build a clan to features. Uh, lesson number two, you know, group, doing group discounts, clan buying discounts, learn from an actual player versus trying to, you know, before we kind of did it, we were doing it manually before we actually built it as a feature in the game. That taught us the power of community development. That's really how we learned about how to make our game better by talking to the first 40,000 players of Masgun uh, were all my friends on Facebook. I found, I, I found each one of them and friended them on Facebook. Uh, to learn from them, to talk to them. Uh, and we have some amazing stories from that game. Uh, when we're doing our second game, uh, you know, so I'll tell you a little bit, you know, how to think about community development itself and why we do what we do. 
if you're essentially making a clone of any other game, you might not look need to look go and talk to a lot of people. Uh, you might just kind of keep your head down and just build it. But if you're doing something new, you want to kind of measure taste. You're inventing a new dish. Does it need more salt, more spice? Uh, you know, what's the flavor that you're looking for? What's umami inside of it? Uh, you're always going to try and do that by taste testing it. Or you know, I like to use interchangeably tasting and testing uh, with the audience over a period of time. Uh, that's really the first part of thinking about community. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, I went to YC and Paul Bukhait actually said this during our batch, which he said that you don't need a million people who don't even care about you. You just need, you know, a thousand people who really love you. And that's really what our community has been. We've been there for our community, our company is an extension. Uh, you know, every employee in our company, we treat it as family. We think of our community as an extension of this family. Every one of our devs talks to these players. <clears throat> I've put the entire team on a bus for Indus, taking them to, you know, seven cities now. But, you know, before the launch of the game, we'll take them to 28 cities in India. Uh, and these are places where these developers go and meet real players. Uh, I've kind of thought about this as, you know, hey, I'm only going to go there and shake a player's hand. For me, that's the most important connection to make, wherein a player knows who's on the other side. It's not some nameless, faceless uh, kind of corporation, but it a, a company that cares about what you think about the game and is able to make those changes to the game. If you look at our YouTube, uh, we do a playtest and then we address feedback on a week-by-week -week basis by the people who took that feedback from those players. Now, imagine what it does to a player. It kind of changes his perception about game making. Uh, I kind of think about it, I think about game making also similar to, you know, food, for example. Uh, you know, no matter how much money, if it's the most expensive restaurant but the food is not good, people will not come to it. But at the same time, you know, all of us have that favorite restaurant where you know the owner, you know the you know the chef, you know the waiter, he knows what you want. Uh, and you most likely go there more often than not. Uh, and that's mostly to enjoy the meal. I think of games as not a one game takes it all. But people show up for that community. They show up for knowing the team. They, they show up for being heard. They show up for being able to customize what they're going to eat. Uh, I thought that that's really the way to build that community. Uh, we kind of did it the unscalable way originally with, you know, friending people and stalking them on Facebook, uh, but Facebook allowed us to do it. Uh, but today, you know, we've kind of taken a more structured approach to all of it, uh, where we actually have a large Discord, Twitter, YouTube, uh, you know, I, you know, and we've kind of built that, you know, one by one, one by one, one by one. Uh, we've kind of gotten to a point, as they do two interesting incidents in the, in the last two weeks. Uh, one incident is now we actually have people stalking our office. Uh, where people are kind of standing outside the office uh, saying that, hey, uh, you know, I know that Indus is made here. Can I get early access? Can I play the game? Uh, you know, so, and these are people who've come riding a bicycle, you know, 30 minutes away. Uh, and I've had to actually tell them, like, you know, I know that you've not told your mom. You're supposed to be in some kind of tuition class. Uh, so if you kind of get me your mom's WhatsApp number and kind of ask her to call me, maybe I'll let you play this Friday. Uh, so we, we took a bunch of these kids, uh, brought them to the office on Friday, and we got them to play with India's number one PUBG player. They are lives completely. Uh, the second incident was also, you know, at GDC this year. Uh, I've been to 12 GDCs. You know, I've been going to GDC since to, since 2011. Uh, GDC this year was crazy. It had 27,000 people. I, you know, that's kind of what, what the numbers were. Somebody said 40, somebody said 27,000 people. But I've never seen so many people at GDC. That's the answer. Uh, and, you know, we actually, I was sitting in Yerba Buena. I'm wearing an Indus hoodie. Uh, and it was cold. Like, the weather was really bad this year. 
uh, and I had you know at least five people you know pat me on my shoulder and said that hey uh, you know you're doing and these are people not from India not not game developers that I know complete random strangers who kind of tapped us on our shoulder and said that hey I know what you're doing and I think it's really cool. I thought that that's really recognition from your peers like you know one is obviously recognition from fans but recognition from your peers and not just any peers. Uh, from what I found out is you know some of these are really accomplished game developers all around the world. What what I thought is you know hey acknowledging that we're doing something right, uh, and I think every game developer at heart knows what needs to get done from a community perspective. Is the constraints of company scaling growth what to focus on that doesn't allow people to do that. Today I think we build a company wide enough with 150 people which allows us to go and do this at scale. Kind of on the same line here, uh, can you can you speak to kind of the unique distribution strategy that you're you're working on with Indus? I know. You've teamed up with a lot of major content creators in India, but maybe give us more color on that. Sure, sure. So I think, you know, one thing that nobody's understood about India is obviously people are downloading a lot of games, but nobody's gone and understood what people really want. You know, what we chose, uh, like, you know, we've not spent any marketing money. You know, we have 200 million users across all of our Web2 games, uh, but spending less than half a million dollars. Uh, and we also spend that half a million dollars mostly to kind of test out, you know, Google Ads, test out all of these frameworks, not really to acquire a lot of users. Uh, but the key part that we understood is nobody actually understands India. India is very, very different from any other country. It's not homogeneous like you might think it was. Uh, it's people in every, the, the language changes, you know, every 200 kilometers, uh, you know, people's space change. Uh, so what we did was to kind of build a company from the grassroots level. We went to all small towns, small cities as we were building every one of our games and built a fandom there. With our playtest, we go to every city uh, and we've not actually had to take a big YouTuber there. The big YouTubers have kind of reached out to us and said that, hey, I, I love what you're doing. I want to be part of that community and I'd love to kind of, you know, be part of that early access test. Uh, so, so, you know, so we've naturally gotten that interest. Uh, and people want to, like, you know, the key part of game making, and this is really what I thought is a third blue ocean. The first blue ocean, obviously the bands and, you know, the second one of it was, you know, just a team that's kind of just built shooters for seven years uh, and kind of doing it with Indian content, unique kind of that X factor. The the one other piece that I kind of thought as a blue ocean opportunity that we had is that if you're doing something like this for the first time in India, you have a natural audience. People want to kind of make you successful. And these are not any people. These are people who play shooters day in and day out. These are people, you know, I would say this is the capital of Battle Royale shooters in the world. They play, they've played every Battle Royale and they have much more deeper insights than anybody else. Games get better with this feedback. Uh, so kind of bringing these people in has created both better distribution because everybody's seen like the most famous player playing those games, but it's also made a better game uh, so that's kind of the part that I kind of think about is, you know, hey, once you've gotten your content strategy right, your distribution strategy needs to matter. Uh, I think that's really something that we've kind of been able to nail. And I kind of want to give all kudos to my co-founders who run product marketing, Sankeep, uh, entire marketing team, uh, who've kind of been and taken this approach to community building and then kind of, you know, doing marketing around it uh, for our distribution angle. Uh, that's really the second pillar. Uh, but you also said famous YouTubers. Uh, I want to kind of put in a plug here, uh, saying that you know we've actually had almost every large player of shooters inside of our studio playing and kind of learning about how we're going about making the game. Uh, we're actually bringing one of them together uh, for our first esports tournament. We think that the game is getting to a point where it, we'd love to kind of test out our esports capabilities with some of the best esports players in the country. 
Uh, so early June, we're actually doing an esports tournament with some of the most famous esports players that you'll see to give us early tests or early views on our esports capabilities. So squads, ping systems, voice chat, competitiveness, skill ceilings, these are all things that you're going to hear about from, and we're going to experience it firsthand. It's going to be held in our studio here in Pune, uh, first week of June, you know, looking forward to that big piece. I do not know how you keep your head straight, but uh, again, we we appreciate all that you balance there. Uh, and going with that, I, I want to give people a sense of the granularity involved uh, with some of the design principles uh, within Indus. Can you walk us through some of the design principles then that you're using for creating the guns and the very like realistic ballistics inside the game? The one thing that we wanted to do, and you know, we've seen people's lives change because of YouTube streaming esports here in India, uh, and not just in India. You know, it's everywhere. You know, you ask the kid on the street. Uh, most likely, you know, if I, your kid is also going to say that if she wants to grow up, she wants to grow up to be a streamer or an esports player. You know, like everybody wants to be Mr. Beast. I think that's really the universal answer that I would kind of find. Uh, and I think that, you know, for us, that was the critical path of saying that, hey, our games should be able to do this job for people's lives. They should be able to not just be a source of entertainment, fun that you enjoy hanging out with your friends in, but for some people, it's a, it's probably a source to a better livelihood. Uh, and I thought that that's really what our game is did. Uh, we looked at two things. We looked at, you know, uh, Garena's accessibility, which means it runs in almost every device. Uh, a PUBG's esports capabilities. We thought that, you know, you could actually run tournaments using PUBG here in India. Uh, but the third part of it that we also said is that what are things that would be the next level? Mobile esports, where people have perfected playing with a claw, like, you know, mobile. If you see the, the kind of people or the kind of holes, the controls that people have using a mobile device in India, we've been blown away by some of these players. Uh, you know, skill levels, you know, dexterity, uh, you know, spatial awareness, all of those things from a small, you know, six-inch screen. Uh, and that's really the part that we wanted to get right. But the second part of it, that we wanted to build a skill ceiling. of saying that, hey, how does somebody just get better at the game every day, every day, every day? Uh, and I think that that's really something that we wanted to think about in terms of saying that, hey, give people something that they can master over a period of time. So that's kind of where we built every gun from scratch. Uh, you know, we kind of said that we do two things. We won't kind of think of the gun as a prop. We'll think of this as a virtual weapon. So we designed, you know, right down to the firing cycle. So we designed muzzle, you know, uh, uh, every every part of the, the the gun, the barrel, the muzzle, uh, you know, the trigger, the, the, uh, the bullet, all of these things were designed. We then we put in ballistics inside of it. Now, ballistics is something that's very hard to do on mobile devices. So it's not a hit scan, it's a projectile motion, which means that, you know, there is something called a range. If you're aiming beyond that range, then you are counting for bullet drop. And we thought that that added skill ceiling to it. Like, you know, when you're playing CSGO, you are mastering the recoil of the AK-47. You are mastering where to kind of hurl the grenade into. All of those things, I thought, kind of led to people coming in and mastering your game, like a sport, not just a game for fun, but a sport. And we wanted to build all of that. We also wanted to do this in the most efficient manner. Uh, so it runs even on, you know, poor internet or connectivity kind of going up, which is re which is a reality. India plays mobile games on, uh, you know, the 4G network or on mobile internet, not on Wi-Fi. 92% of all gaming is happening on a mobile network, not on Wi-Fi. Uh, and mobile network, India is the cheapest data network in the world, but probably the most congested as well. Uh, not the most reliable. So you want to account for all of that in your gameplay, in your in, in kind of your stack. That's really the the depth of detail that we went to. Again, informed by what we've done in the past, 
but also kind of reinventing and making one of these because we were we were very clear that we were making for this audience. Often when you're trying to make a game, and because I've kind of made the same, like Indus is not the second shooter that I'm making, it's actually the fourth shooter that I'm making. And after Mastodon, I did I made two more shooters as well, which didn't ship. Uh, or, you know, one of them is shipped, one is alive, it has a million users. But we learned quite a bit from that experience of saying what to get right, what to kind of experiment with. And we brought all of that learnings inside of Indus, where we said that, hey, these are the pillars that we likely built. So we sort of say build the machine first, build the platform first for Indus, before we kind of build the game itself. That allowed us to go faster, 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 and do things that were very hard for other people to do, who had not built with this approach to start with. Uh, I think that's really an advantage that we've had of kind of building a platform company and a games company inside of the same. People think of it as two different companies. I think of them as one company, more like a flywheel. The game makes the platform better, the platform makes the game better. You know, so that's kind of how we thought about it. And, you know, I also think of this as a competitive advantage. Uh, I always say that, you know, when you enter a market, you know, you should always enter a race with a large enough stick to beat each, of, each one of your competitors every day. That's really what we're trying to do. Uh, these are obviously the two key parts that I talked about. The third part that I wanted to talk to you about is saying that, hey, what we designed our guns is not just for, you know, the 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 look, the good looking skins, all of it, you know, you know, the, the Steam equivalent for CSGO, but also designed all of our guns uh, to kind of think about them as being craftable, being something moddable. And we thought that, you know, guns and modding have a history as well on the internet. People love to do that. So, you know, what an NFS calls car porn, uh, in Indus we call it gun porn. Uh, that's really how we think about it. You know, the livery system of an NFS is kind of bought inside of Indus. We call it the the gun porn system, where it's not just changing how a gun looks, but also customizing your gun to kind of match your play style. Uh, barrels, you know, you want more ammo, you want a faster fire rate, you want a longer range, uh, you want more stability, less recoil. All of these things can be crafted. And that's really how we designed our entire economy around the game as well. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Web 2 and Web 3. Um, you know, I think the last 12 months or so has kind of told the world that there won't be a Web 2 and Web 3 parts of it. It'll just be gaming or core gaming. That's really our thesis. But we also think that there will be this new layer on top of it, which we call the on-chain economy. There will be items that do not require an on-chain economy, and there will be items that will require an on-chain economy. Like, you know, I... I, I kind of cringe up when people make Solitaire on, uh, on or, you know, Ludo on, on blockchain because I think that's an abuse of technology. It's not a digital collectible. It's not something that needs to be ownership-driven. Uh, but a gun, pieces of it, crafted, sold, marketplaces, you know, kind of traded between players, requires a key component, which is really ownership. Who owned the item? What's the history of ownership? How did it get crafted? And I thought that the blockchain is a powerful technology that addresses this piece, not to get carried away with the speculation layer, the token economy. All of these are economies that kind of should serve in the interest of our players. And that's really how we've thought about our company of saying that, hey, we do have a Web3 game as well, but we also think about it mostly in terms of saying that giving players ownership, giving them agency to kind of think about how they want to craft it, how they want to build the economy, may or may not want to trade it. I think where we are in the market today, the speculation layer has gone away. Uh, you know, I've not seen great examples of economy, but I thought that what we are doing with our economy of the games, uh, which is, you know, completely focused on making a great game first, before thinking about anything in Web3, which is what we did in TCME, a Conquest Metaverse edition, is really the right way of going about it. I know there's a lot of criticisms to 
you know, games allowing folks to be able to buy certain skins or buy certain weapons. But how do you think about balancing creating this this new uh, on-chain, I'll call it a free economy? So, so I'll tell you what we did differently. Uh, the first thing that we did is saying that, hey, I think, you know, Web3 games were broken because these are mostly speculation engines, not really a game. Uh, the first thing that we did was to say that, hey, it has to be a great game first. So when we did Tower Conquest Metaverse Edition, uh, it's actually based on Tower Conquest, our Web2 game, which has been played by 25 million players. It has some of the best retention and monetization stats that any game of ours has. Uh, so we took that and then we redesigned it completely from scratch for a Web3 economy. Uh, we kind of said that, hey, by the way, uh, it's a great game already, but let's kind of introduce to it a real-time PvP component where people can kind of build decks and, and compete against each other. Now, the, the next question that you had is, hey, does this become pay-to-win? Uh, I do see a bunch of people kind of putting out NFTs. I think what I've seen predominantly as something, somebody trying to do things is people using NFTs mostly to solve the user acquisition piece and saying that, hey, we'll acquire users by giving away free NFTs. That's the whole free-to-own concept. Uh, but I do think that where that game fails is it has enough players now, but it's kind of trying to build a Web2 economy, not really doing anything path-breaking on the game itself, on the economy of the game itself. What we did was slightly different. We said that, hey, what if we make our economy utility-driven, where people actually play the game, they get really good at it, they kind of compete against each other, and the best players kind of move to more precious items. More, the best players get the, you know, the top of the leaderboard really gets the best rewards. So, you know, you kind of go towards, you know, uh, what we call SFT-driven economy or semi-fungible token-driven economy to then being part, you know, only 5-10% of our economy is kind of uh, NFT-driven. Uh, and that's really led to a part where people are kind of actually playing the game, enjoying, unlocking greater rewards, unlocking more valuable items. Uh, and when you think about pay-to-win, I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole just pay-to-win strategy. I think there's a very simple way to think about it is, you know, if you're playing on in your high school football, you're actually playing in a high school league. But when you're playing college ball, you're actually playing with college-level athletes as well. When you're playing the NFL, you're also playing against other NFL teams. Uh, and I think that's really what a game also does, you know. So when you're kind of playing in my game, uh, and you're kind of upgraded to, a, let's say, you become a better player, you upgrade it to a certain level of stats, we're actually going to match make you against other players like that. So automatically, what you might call a pay-to-win element can be balanced using great matchmaking. But that's work that needs to go in to design the game, balance it. Uh, I've probably shown you this. Uh, it's, I think, W's favorite piece of work. When in, instead of mass gun, we, whenever we do a balancing change, we measure every bullet fired in the game for that day. That's 5 billion data points in a day. Uh, and that's allowed us to kind of measure every weapon's balance uh, to kind of understand both a pay-to-win aspect, but also a price-to-power ratio aspect. You know, how do we price this thing? How do we have enough players play against this? Uh, and that's really the the other part of saying that, hey, that's really what the science of game making comes into. Uh, I'm, you know, two years ago in Web3, I think everybody did not understand this. Uh, this GDC and, you know, what I've seen in the last three months has mostly been that the experienced teams who already know how to all of, do all of these things are now coming to Web3 are now understanding the on-chain economy, are now thinking about players from an ownership perspective. That's really something that I find encouraging. We might be the crypto winter, but I think it's for all the right reasons. So we've we've talked a lot about Indus, but we'd love to hear some other games that you're working on that you're excited about, and then just kind of any other important milestones uh, listeners should know about. 
so in indus you know uh, what we started seeing is a lot of people kind of started coming and looking at content for indus we obviously produce a lot of great content for indus a lot of people have started using that content but mostly to spread fake news around indus you know uh, clickbaity titles like indus release next week or you know this is the place to get indus uh, so what we decided to do was to kind of build our own inside in indus insiders program which is really our content creation program we announced it uh, you know we actually had you know 1500 youtubers sign up for it in 48 hours uh, some of those youtubers have 17 million subs uh, to somebody as small as 25 subs uh, you know we have about 150 million subs covered inside of it uh, and that tells you the power of distribution of content and how big the youtube economy is uh, we showed this to youtube and i think you know uh, we'll probably have we'll announce it uh, in a couple of weeks but youtube is coming on as a formal partner to manage our, our content creator program i think it it's great for two reasons one uh, obviously the authenticity of content uh, and the ability for us to kind of share with a select group of creators who will ensure that the narrative coming out for all of our game is correct uh, and not just clickbaity the second part of it is i think content creators can get better with professional help this is still a nascent industry uh you know rather than just people in their bedroom trying to do random things if there's a playbook if there are ways to kind of do this well i think the whole industry kind of builds as a result of it so that's kind of my big announcement with indus uh coming down to you know two other games that i'm very excited about is obviously one game you know in the pandemic i built this game called silly royal uh essentially it's among us with voice chat in sign of it i looked at people playing among us uh you know we have this you know slightly quirky way of building games is that we actually play every game physically you know so in the in the lockdown in the peak of the lockdown uh we would turn off all the lights in the entire studio the 10000 square feet uh, have these all random rooms inside of it everybody's wearing different colored jackets one of them is you know the skiller so to say and we have many 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 physical mini games inside of every room like the conference room has one the meeting room has one somebody's desk the reception table has one uh, and you know one of these people is a killer Uh, so you're playing mini game and somebody comes and kills you. You like somebody stabs you three times, you're dead. And you're supposed to lay down dead there. So you know, for funnily enough, for the first game that we played, I was lying in a room for 15 minutes and nobody found me because I was dead. Uh, but essentially, what we did from that part was the the most fun part of it was really accusing each other. No, no, I saw you do it. No, 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 I wasn't even there. Like no, no, this guy was the guy saying it. So we thought that the voice chat piece was the most interesting. uh so what we did when we looked at you know mobile in india you can't really run among us and a discord server on the same mobile device so we actually essentially built an indian version of it uh with our own quirks inside of it but we also built what what we think is a poman's discord server with voice chat audio chat all inside of it uh you know and it took off uh what we did differently is that we introduced a mode called hide and seek because in india growing up the two the two games that my kids would always be playing is you know what we call in india lappa chupi chor police or you know hide and seek and you know co- cops and robbers we played that at side of the game and the game would really took off we were expecting a 100000 users uh, in a week we got 2 million uh, you know and that's kind of where the game really took off and city royal today is a 22 million user franchise uh, i think you know our hide and seek game is now found inside of the among us original game as well uh so that's it and it's almost implemented exactly like we did it so i think that's like a good good way to kind of say that hey we kind of pushed the genre ahead uh so that's one part of it uh the next piece that we kind of did step that genre is to kind of saw that you know sh- we kind of build shooting inside of it but more in a top down casual shooter fashion 
so think of like a brawl stars is a casual moba uh india is not a moba market uh so what we did was to actually build a casual shooter and that's kind of what's coming out called it's called battle stars it's actually in soft launch in three countries right now but it comes to india on may 5th uh it comes to india on may 5th and we are actually bringing in india's largest youtuber inside of this game uh his name is techno gamers uh he's got about 40 million subs across his three channels uh and for the first time he's going to be a character in our game uh the reason for it is that you know we saw that connection of our game the city community with influencers people play the game with the influencers the influencers use our game to entertain their audiences uh so a natural next step is to kind of embed them inside of the game ecosystem itself uh so i'm very excited about this game uh and that's kind of again builds out our our sort of say wheelhouse of real time multiplayer shooter great youtube distribution uh, organic kind of users inside of it but also you know balance shooter again every bullet every character every upgrade kind of built inside of it uh esports capable as well uh so we launch on may 5th and on between june 6th and june 9th we're actually having you know for the top winners of this tournament of this leaderboard uh, a meet and greet where these players kind of get to play uh both in an esports team but also get to play with a bunch of youtubers uh so i think that's kind of why we're kind of pushing the whole industry ahead with this game uh it's also so to say our rehearsal before we kind of do something similar within this uh so i think you know you have to build every muscle from scratch uh you know so you know why we build game development as a muscle across all of our games design live ops we're now building marketing and community engagement as a muscle by doing this just across a bunch of our games i think i missed the most obvious question here when do we expect indus to actually release uh i i think that's uh, that's 80% of the comments that i get on youtube why why sign it after to it always is when it's ready <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, but you know, uh, games. You know, if every we're a built-in public company, which means that you know you'll see enough YouTube content to kind of show you the state of the game. Uh, I think the key part of it is with esports, with all of these, we can go close beta somewhere in August, uh, soft launch around that time, probably towards the end of the year once we're ready uh, and we're confident that we're hitting all those KPIs. That's when we kind of think about launch. Uh, so I think of launch as three things. You know, you're currently what we call a playtest, uh, which is really a you know. a closed beta alpha kind of stage then you'll be in a closed beta where you'll have 100000 players play it you know at home uh then you'll likely go into a soft launch where you're actually testing localization few countries then you'll likely go into a full launch that's the three phases uh between now and this time next year i think all these four phases will be complete would there be any advantage then to playing on a pc potentially in the future i'm very excited that this is clearly built for everyone to be able to have access to through mobile which seems like the largest distribution channel that's really where where we are different is that we actually built our engine so that we actually support all three it's coming to it's coming to mobile first uh, but it's also for pc and console uh, we were last week at the xbox summit uh, and kind of also kind of are working on the xbox version of this which comes out in 24 uh, the reason for the sequence sort of say is mobile because mobile gamers are more forgiving uh, but you also kind of get a lot more liquidity by kind of being on mobile uh, the game gets to a certain level of polish before it comes to pc it gets even more polish before it comes to console that's kind of the three steps inside of it this is probably a great place for us to wrap up so i want to remind everyone uh that they should go learn about super gaming by going to supergaming.com they should follow super gaming on twitter which is really easy it's just super gaming 
NPC. That's the Twitter handle. Robbie, uh, anything else that you'd like to share, though, before we go? Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I want to kind of share uh, a lot of things that we do uh, in, around this whole concept of team, uh, around the concept of family. Uh, our, our dog is no more with us, uh, you know, so our story of three guys, a dog and a dream. But our entire studio is actually housed in a place where he's buried. Uh, and it's actually called Charlie's House. Uh, Charlie is the name of our dog. Uh, you know, but I also want to kind of say that, you know, while this was a great story uh, to kind of tell you about our origin story, uh, I think of every employee that works at my company as my family, uh, every employee, every person makes a sacrifice to kind of come and work for you. Uh, I think a lot of this is missed in normal employment. As a company, we've kind of grown from the three guys that are in a dream to about 150 people today, which is also a very large number in a country like India, where the talent is not very easily accessible. Uh, and we've had to not do a lot of it. People showed up when we were kind of talking about what we're trying to do uh, and, and our culture that we kind of built around it of just taking care of each other, having very high aspirations, uh, but also kind of, you know, taking care of each other. I grew up with a tiger mom. Uh, I kind of think about our company as a family with a tiger mom inside of it as well, where everybody here, we have very high expectations from each one of our employees. Uh, we recently had a very unfortunate incident where our, one of our star developers, the lead developer of Battle Stars, uh, passed away in a accident, in a tragic accident, with both his mother also passing away in that accident. Uh, I want to kind of dedicate, you know, whatever I do going ahead on this game and, you know, talking about it uh, to the memory of Chella. Uh, he was not just an employee, he was a brother to all of us, uh, the, the most kindest person that you kind of speak with. Uh, and, I, and I kind of want to dedicate a lot of the work that the Battle Stars team does to his memory. Instead of it, uh, that's been something that we've decided to do, to kind of work with his family, support his family like our own. Uh, we think that he lives on through his work in our game. Uh, and I think that that's really what's missing in the wound, a little bit of gratitude uh, towards every little thing that's done. Uh, I want to kind of extend that to both, you know, investors for kind of believing in our story. Uh, but also all the employees that kind of continue to believe in us and kind of come and join us on this journey of building India's greatest gaming company. Uh, with that, you know, I, don't, I have nothing more to say, but uh, thank you again. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you're a talented builder like Robbie, please consider reaching out to our team at fourthrevolution.capital. And for future episodes of the Edge podcast, please check out our link tree at edge underscore pod. Mm-hmm.